Okay. the dragon's lair because we're finally going to do it we're getting into kobe world dragon gate everybody's been dying to hear our review i know it's been a while we've had some time to marinate our thoughts we're getting to it last like i'll I'll give (laughs) i know uh i know you're joking but i'll I'll give one thing um diamante and shun skywalker versus uh jackie kome and jason lee is actually one of my favorite matches of the year I'll agree with you. I uh, I actually did have a, a, a chat with uh, one Mike Spears over from uh, Voices of Wrestling who who do the they really do the Lord's work over there. Uh, Mike Spears and Case have really become the the voices and the and they've stabilized Voices of Wrestling or not Voices of Wrestling. Open the the drag open the voice gate. Yeah. Um, which has kind of you know seen its fair share of comings and goings with hosts and all of this. Um. And I got into a, a conversation with him because his take, I heard him in multiple places because, you know, obviously if you're going to get a guest on to talk about Kobe world, who's the best person to get, but Mike Spears, right. At this point um, to chat about it and the multiple places, he talked about that match um, Zebrats versus, you know, the Kung Fu, whatever it is, Kung Fu masters um, and how it was a really easy digestible match for a casual or a non Dragon Gate fan to get into and see and the one thing that I brought up that I think was overlooked by a lot of Dragon Gate fans and a lot of, you know, like you saying, like, this can be in my match of the year list, which I think it can be, and it's overlooked on it, is that it's not, even if it is like an easy to watch match, I don't think it's a good introduction match for fans because mm. the Kung Fu Masters are not the Kung Fu Masters. 
So if you show this to a new fan and, and there's someone who says, oh, well, I'm just like not that into Dragon Gate because you have to get all this backstory and know all the characters. And it's hard to, you know, it's not if you, you get confused and that's like kind of the, the rub on Dragon Gate for a lot of people. Uh, that there's so much deep lore and all this that you're not going to get it if you just pop in. You show them this match and then if they do get into it, which is pretty easy because it's a great match. And by the end of it, they're saying, I love these Kung Fu Masters. And then you tell them, okay, well, they're not going to be the Kung Fu Masters, though. Even though they won the championships as the Kung Fu Masters, you basically just told me that they're be- they're a better team as the Kung Fu Masters. They're not going to be that team anymore. <laughs> and then if you are the kind of person who says, okay, it's hard to get into Dragon Gate because this shit is confusing, tell me that that wouldn't be fucking confusing. No, I agree with you. Like, Even if you explain that they still are a tag team and in the same unit, you know, yeah. or whatever that is still we like wait so what was the point of the kung fu masters thing i understand that yeah and they won the tag team title so wh- tell me why this team that's kind of been a joke and like people don't take seriously but they win the tag team championships against these giant like behemoth wrecking balls they win the tag teams because they're being the kung fu masters why wouldn't they say okay this works i should stay the kung fu master it's the same as like the the, the <laughs> yeah. demon the fiend or the 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 Finn Balor demon thing. Yeah, it's yeah like, Finn Balor being the demon king or whatever the fuck. Yeah, he when he turns into the demon king, he always wins. So why doesn't he just always stay the demon king, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> check that out. But yeah, that match kicked ass. I did. I almost wanted to make a meme that was like the you know the person on the girl on TikTok who's like, if you like this, check out this. But I wanted to do like, if you like this and have the zebrats, be like, check out this and it's violence is forever. Because like they're like the same. If you really liked that match for them being like big bullies and you're not a violence is forever, which is not the kind of people we're talking to here, really. But, yeah, you know, the, the puro perverts who are like only watch Japanese wrestling. If you mm. really like the fucking Zebrats team of Shun and Diamante because they, they're big bully badasses, I would recommend checking out violence is forever because they do the same thing, you know. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but uh, I figured that's a very small niche audience. It's not worth it to take the time to to make that. Um, but yeah, great match. Otherwise, um, yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. What do you think about? Uh, I, I did not even really mean to get into this. <laughs> no. Mochizuki's Junior winning the trios tag team titles. I, I um, like them. They're fun. Yeah, I like it. They're fun. I like that the M two K or M is it M three K now or whatever. Um, I think it's M three K. Yeah, yeah. I thought. I um, liked... I thought... I thought you. I thought both the Yushioki, uh, Yuki Yoshioka's uh, title matches were pretty good. I, I like the one with. Uh, I think he plays Kota Minora the next night. I like the I like the Kota Minora yeah. one a little bit more than the Kai one, but I thought the Kai one was actually still pretty good. Uh, yeah, and I'm just interested to see what he does going forward. Um, so I don't know. There's your two weeks late Kobe World takes. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um... Oh, and then there was the departure. I can't even remember who it was who left now. Um, but uh, the the guy who used to be like a strong hearts guy that then, or I guess he was over generation. Kaito um, Ishida left. Yeah, Ishida. Yeah, he yeah, left, and then it's like kind of where's he gonna go? It seems like Gleet would be a good spot for him, but he's also like I said, got the connections to Shima and the over generation kind of connection there, so you could see him hooking up with the strong hearts. Who I don't even know what the strong hearts are doing. Because it seemed like they were set up to be, you know, New Japan guys. It seemed like that's where we were going. But no, they didn't have a representative in the G1, which is odd. But we can transfer over to G1 finals and the G1 talk in general. Off of how that. much, how much, how much, how much better, how much better would the G1 have been if uh, Shima wasn't inside of LP? 
I mean, that would have been a really, really helpful thing, but they clearly, <laughs> they have a plan. It seems like they like LP. The reactions, the reactions to LP that I've heard and seen are are fucking crazy making to me. Because, I, I, I don't know. Again, this is just me. I just, I have to, I have to really just accept and remember, like, people have no fucking clue about this stuff, even though I think it's just like normal. People are talking about LP as if like the only thing that they've ever seen is from the last couple of years of New Japan. And they're not familiar with all the work that he did for like a decade in, you know, Pacific Northwest, all the stuff that he did in the UK. And they're like, oh, this guy can uh, can like do some high spots and wrestle. And it's like, yeah, that was never the issue. Like LP could always wrestle, right? Like mm. he could do spots and stuff. He's not great. Um, he's not super to me. He's not like um, intriguing. I don't get like into his matches. I don't think he had a lot of charisma, but like physically he could do stuff. And they're like, oh, he's not just all heel shtick or whatever. Um, yeah, it's like I thought that was nuts. Duh? Like, like yeah. duh? <laughs> that's what he was known for for forever. It was weird when he started doing that in New Japan because like it was the first time he had ever really done stuff like that. Mm. like it was odd that people are like the opposite they're like oh that this is all he's known for um so yeah so that was a weird one seeing that people reacting that way but uh but yeah that and and the stuff with david finley was interesting because i don't know he just hasn't to me he hasn't like hit that level but it seemed like they were really looking to push him um let me just kind of like looked around and realized like I guess it's your turn now. Like <laughs> that's you know, what it seemed like. But like they had been gradually building him up. Like I don't want to like the Finju stuff wasn't for nothing. Having him around the heavyweight heavyweight tag title picture for so long wasn't just for nothing. So I feel like that was an elevation that we didn't really truly see as an elevation at the time because it was just a tag title thing and um Juice was clearly the bigger uh name between it between the two. Well, I think they've they've been building David Finley. I, I would give I would give them that. Yeah, I guess that makes. I guess I guess they they were kind of. It just seemed like there was the hiccup there with like the teasing, like he was leaving. Yeah. The, obviously, there's also the pandemic, mm-hmm. and then it all came down to that. But yeah, it seemed like he was presented pretty strong. I mean, he ended up with an even uh, win loss record, but even still, to me, that seemed like pretty strong for how i would see him um you know at the end of the day uh and tamatanga winning his block over jay white even though they were tied in the standings he technically you know won out i think with the uh with the tiebreaker uh yeah that was a very yeah. interesting one yeah <laughs> I, I don't look oh well, I, that I, don't, I, I don't under, i don't understand i don't i don't yeah. not, do not understand that at all but uh, yeah, I guess that's it. The final itself, uh, Osprey Okada here. What did you think? Um, I'll say this: it's not my favorite Okada Osprey match. I think it's really, really good though. Um, it honestly kind of surprised me that Okada won because I was thinking Osprey would win, and I'm not thinking that they would run. Osprey versus Jay at the Dome, I was thinking that Jay would lose the belt at some point. So sure. it actually kind of shocked me that Osprey didn't win. Uh, a lot of the match is revolved around Osprey and building sympathy for him. And 
I think this is the start of whatever Osprey arc you want to talk about from he did his heel run, won the belts, did whatever. And I think now this is the start of kind of baby baby facing Osprey a little bit. And just because of how the how the match was laid out, I kind of thought that Osprey would win it. It felt like the, a match about Will Osprey, but that didn't wind up happening. Okada and Osprey have incredible chemistry. They've had incredible chemistry for seven years now, and I don't think that's going to wind up changing anytime soon. Okada's working control, working on Osprey's neck, and then Osprey in return, working on working on Okada's back and neck and the sequences that you don't need to talk need to talk about it with those guys. They just have almost Okada and Omega level chemistry when it comes to sequences and their timing and counters and reversals with each other. And Osprey's bumps on certain things. If he's taking Okada's drop kick, if he's taking a rainmaker. Osprey at this point just makes everything look dev looks look devastating. And I don't think it's as good as their dome match from uh from this year. Or their don't or their dome match from uh from what from 2020, 2021, whatever the, whatever the no, it was twenty twenty one. So they had two dome matches back to back. Uh I don't think it's better than either of those. And I'm not sure where I would rank it, but it's still like a four, like four star, four and a quarter level match for me because those that's just the level that these two operate at together. And I'm not saying I think this, but if someone after this match got to the point where they thought Osprey and Okada was actually Okada's best matchup, I wouldn't think they were crazy. I think that Okada and Osprey are going up against the eight ball here because they're out there with the clap crowds and there's only so much you can do with that. But if you take those three Okada Osprey matches that we've gotten over the past couple of years and you put them, well, I guess four years, really. If you take those Okada Osprey matches that we've gotten and put them in front of audiences that were allowed to cheer and react and boo and chant. I feel like we talk about those matches a lot differently. And I feel like they should be given credit for the reactions they do get for these matches in spite of everything that is going that's going against them. But I, I don't know. In a in different circumstances, I think we'd be talking about Okada and Osprey and uh Osprey being maybe Okada's best opponent. I was I was literally teeing up to ask you that, you know. So perfect, and we're we're always or we're starting. How do I say this? We're uh, think similarly a lot of the times. We have like on the same wavelength here. Um, I would say yeah, and like not their best match. Honestly, for my taste, and like people can say whatever they want. Uh, you know, people can think whatever they want, but like. To me, that their RPW, their first match is their best match. That's the one that always is going to stick in my mind. It's the least, you know, it, it's smaller scale, which I like. You know, it's not the big over the top production. Um, I I liked the story there. It's Osprey as the kind of wrestler that I liked Osprey as the best. Um, underneath, you know, plucky young baby face kind of guy who's like getting getting a chance with the biggest star in the world, you know, that's the kind of match that I, I like, you know? So to me, that's the one that always stands out in my mind. That's the big deal. And obviously, you know, the big epic over 30 minute matches are the ones that a lot of other people are going to like, they're going to remember, they're going to think of them as more important. But to me, I like something smaller, meaningful impact and more, you know, small scale, the presentation and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, to, for me, this gets over indulgent and, and there's some stuff like the, 
the strike exchange on the mat while they're both crawling towards each other is just a bit too much for me. But also, you know, the the crowd in the building and the people there, like, and, and I know that like my taste is different than a lot of people, you know, and like main a lot of mainstream wrestling fans like that kind of stuff. Um, that said, I mean, yeah, these guys have phenomenal chemistry with each other. Um, I would almost say that even though I mentioned that and the overindulgence, like for the argument of saying who's the better opponent for Okada versus Osprey and, and Omega, like to speak to what I was just saying, as insane as this might sound to some people, Osprey and Okada, I think are less overindulgent than Okada and Omega ever like ever got or got at their peak. I'll say. Yeah. I think that that does speak to just a shift in the style, the house style in New Japan over the course of Osprey's time at the top. When Kenny was was getting into becoming a main eventer in New Japan, that was really the peak of what became, you know, the New Japan house style, the Okada style that was New Japan's thing and what everybody thinks of when they think of that New Japan house style. And since then, it has kind of gone on the downswing where Okada has intentionally toned that back some. So there is something to that as well. But I do think that like you get similar things like the timing and the precision of like the big, uh, you know, missile drop kick to the back of the head. That was like the staple of the Kenny Omega Okada match. That would always be the big spot that people would notice. You get something similar to that with Osprey hook kick from out of nowhere to Okada from behind, you know, the super kick. And yeah. like, it looks just as pinpoint. It looks just as deadly, but it's not this big, crazy drop kick from the top. Not to say that they don't do big moves. I'm just saying they just don't go. They don't always have to go over the top. Okada Osprey don't always have to get tables and, and get plunder around the ring. And I mean, this match, we don't get any outside interference. You're always going to get some of that, or at least something coming from the, the seconds, even with the United Empire there, they're not getting involved. But when you had Omega and Okada, you would always get some kind of Young Bucks involvement in some way. It seemed like they were always getting involved or or Cody, you know, adding his two cents to the thing. So, yeah, I just from that point of view, as I talk about, like, not really enjoying the over the top melodramatic overproduced kind of thing, like Osprey might be the better Okada opponent in my mind than than Omega. Um but even with that said, though, like, I wouldn't say that that makes Osprey Okada's best opponent. Mm. You've still got, obviously, Tanahashi. And I would even say that we don't get as many of them and they don't get the chance to have epics. But, like, the chemistry to me between Okada and Cobb is, I think, better. I I absolutely think that those two knock it out of the park with each uh, other every uh, fucking time. I don't think it's right. I don't think it'd be crazy to say that like Okada versus Cobb from the opening opening night of the G1 is better than this. I wouldn't think that's crazy to say. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, like, again, I, I think if you're comparing o- um, Omega and Osprey, I actually would probably go with Osprey, but I still don't think that that like would make him Okada's best opponent. Like, you know, mm-hmm. but he's he's in the conversation. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't think it would, like if someone said that, I don't think I would be like, okay, you're, you're, you're crazy. I think sure. Will's done enough. In these matches, and inter- an interesting thing is, so Wales only beat him once still, and it's the time in which he turned heel and cheated, yeah, and cheated. that's the only time only time in which he's beaten Okada. So they're still telling this big long term story with Osprey not being able to beat Okada, which is going to pay off at some point. We don't know when, but he's going to get a clear, definitive 
singles win in a big spot clean over Okada one day. And they're still building to that. Uh, you mentioned Kenny Omega. So you're familiar with the Kenny Omega Hiroki Goto G1 final where he goes on the lineage of Bullet Club leaders and he does a Bloody yeah. Sunday, there's a Styles Clash, and then eventually beats Goto with the one-winged angel. So uh, Osprey kind of does a similar thing here. And he does a Styles Clash and then starts doing some Kenny moves. He does a V-trigger and gets Okada up for a for a one-winged angel. And the crowd is like gasping. You know, they're really reacting to this one to this one-winged angel tease, and Okada gets down, and that's when uh, that's when Osprey gets hit with his first Rainmaker. And with the Omega coming back that we'll talk about in a little bit, and the stuff between Omega and Osprey in the news and interviews and teasing and teasing this matchup, Osprey doing AEW spots, everything like that. Do you think that was a tease for the matchup? Do you think that was just I will fucking around? Uh, are you interested in Osprey versus Omega? All that stuff. But uh, what do you think of the uh, of the Kenny spots in the match? I think it would probably be Osprey just trying to tease it, possibly trying to keep it relevant. Um, you know, trying to like bring that back up, especially with Omega returning. But I think that, and we're going to talk about Dynamite here in a bit, but you know, save it for the main event, I guess. Um, that I think that Omega right now has a very interesting story and in what they're planning, and also like maybe some some uh, some like different pre- presentation, or he's trying to like you know change kind of the context or, or the way that his matches go a little bit um, within them to where like a feud and an online rivalry with osprey and building up to like a match between them doesn't feel like it's in the cards anytime soon um you know but that said i mean we think we can get there um who knows when who knows you know where but i just don't think that that's really on the table so i think this is osprey maybe doing a little hint a little tease at it a little hinting at it but not uh not necessarily like something that's got anything behind it and i could see it being something where like you said, I mean, going into the match, and that's one thing I like, is that, like there wasn't, it isn't just like meta textual thing. Like Osprey directly said, put it out there. Like I I need to beat you in the G1, just like all these other people have been able to beat Okada in the G1, but I haven't. And to do it clean, basically, you know, not, I don't need to win without cheating. Basically like that's what he wants to do. And so in the match, he's going to all of these moves from the people who've been able to beat Okada and it doesn't work for him. And the point is to, to get to that Osprey needs to figure out how to beat Okada as himself and not try Mm. to mimic other people basically. And that could go into, like you said, a a baby face turn, uh, you know, done with the heel storyline or go somewhere where it's like, he's needs to get back to being Will Osprey and stop being like this, uh, whatever this character has been, that could be part of it as well. So we'll see. Um, But yeah, I definitely think, I think that that's not like a, that's not on the table right now. Omega just does not seem like that's, you know, anywhere near like on the on the plate for him based on how he's being presented on his return here um, on Dynamite, um, which we were going to talk about. I don't know if there's anything else you want to hit before um, we get to Dynamite. Just real quick, I'd probably say Otwell was the best guy in G1, to be honest with you. Um, 
I don't even think this, this Okada match is his best match in the G1. I think that the Naito match is fucking amazing, honestly. And yeah. uh um the Shingo match were both we're both we're both really good. So it's probably in the, it's probably in the top three. I'm not sure I put the David Finley match above it or the LP match above it. So this is probably his second or third best match of the G1. But I thought Will was really good in the G1. Usual suspects like Shingo was going to be really good. Um, I thought Jonah Rock eventually got there and eventually did some really good stuff. Uh, Jonah Jonah Rock versus Okada might be my favorite match of the tournament. I love that match. I don't know if you got around to seeing it. Yeah, but yeah. No, that was great. Yeah, I I love that. I thought that was really good. I don't know if you saw Okan versus Ishii. I thought that I thought that I thought that was really good. Um and my main takeaway is yeah, this tournament definitely felt a little different not having Kota Ibushi around. Uh for the guys that did step up, it was good to see them. Guys like David Finley, Tom Lawler, Jonah all showed up and did and did their thing. And I don't think uh I don't think performed badly at all. I don't even think uh LP was bad. I would have liked to see someone other than Yujiro in the G1, but mm-hmm. you can't always get what you can't always get what you want there. But I thought everyone did step up. That was new that was new to the field. It just did feel like eh, not having Kota Bushi, not having one of the best wrestlers in the world, did feel like it made a difference at some point when it came to some of these matches on here. Yeah, I think the the format of this was really, really bad. Um, it made it very difficult. I've watched, I've watched almost all of it, and uh, I, I think I was only behind like a couple nights by the end, um, maybe like one or two, and like just impossible for me to keep track of who is what and where because they're people are not having matches consistently. Um, you know, people are having matches like having long periods of time where they don't have a match, and then coming back, and then like keeping track of who is at where and what and all that, like. I mentioned it before, but it really takes away from the whole point of doing a tournament is like you're building up this like this tension and you're just not getting any of that here because it's hard to remember that someone's on a streak when you haven't seen them wrestle for like a week or maybe sometimes even yeah. longer. Um, so, yeah. And then like um, someone like Okan, who I, you know, heard, I think Lanza, maybe Joe Lanza, like reference him like being in that Shibata position. Where like everyone is saying, oh, this is going to be his year. This is going to be his year. And then it just never comes. Um, but the difference being there is that like, I think that Okan didn't really deliver here like Shibata did every time. Like, yeah, I don't no. I don't think we end up there. Where Shibata, people keep Sh- Shibata was like a perennially like one of the best guys in the G1 every yeah. year type of thing. Yeah. And that was why it kept building up. You kept saying like, I, I think he should win because he kept having phenomenal performances in the tournament. So then you kept, so I think after this performance from, from great Ocon next year, I'm not saying like, Oh, I hope he wins. You know what I mean? It turns more into the, the Sonata thing where you're like, Oh, he's at some point he's going to win, but not like necessarily that I want it. Um, Another weird little thing. And you know, this is, you know, it just popped into my head. Uh, Meltzer, Dave Meltzer had Kevin Kelly on the podcast to talk about the G1. And it was fucking sad because it was like, how the mighty have fallen for Dave Meltzer, man. This guy is just, and obviously this will play into the, the ADEW talk here in a little bit, but like he's gone from having Kenny Omega t- level guys on, on the podcast with him, working him, uh, you know, on the podcast to like Kevin Kelly was working him. Kevin Kelly brought <laughs> up like Ishii and being like, 
you know, oh, I don't know anything, but someone like Ishii, you never know. Like he might be hanging it up. The the rumor was already out there, and Dave just is acting like he has no fucking clue. The rumor's already out there. Ishii wasn't even supposed to be in this G one. Yeah, I'm like I'm, I'm like I was actually looking at uh Ishii's page profile right now, and based off of how he's performed in the previous tournaments, you wouldn't think this, but yeah, Ishii finished with four points. <laughs> he lost to yeah. If you go through his block, he lost to Taichi, Jay White. Uh, he beat Tamatanga, lost to Okan, lost to lost to Chase Owens, and then beat Sonata. Those are uh, yeah. So his only two wins are Sonata and Tamatanga, and Tamatanga did go wind up to being like pretty much in the, in the semifinal for uh for yeah. the G one, but but still, yeah. And Ishii was a last-minute addition because they couldn't get AEW guys. And the rumor that went around was that Ishii was not going to be in this, and he was not going to be in the G1 anymore moving forward. He's 46. Yeah, based on this, he's not coming back. But yeah, like, hearing Kevin Kelly, like, oh, I don't know, you know, kayfabing and fucking working Dave Meltzer, like, I don't know about a guy like Ishii. Does he, you know, how many more of these does he have in him? It's like, man, the fucking, the news is out there, and Dave Meltzer is just going along with it. And he's trying to do G1 math with Kevin Kelly, the fucking commentator of the G1. It was just, the shit is just like, man, this guy is fucking gone. Like it is just, you were supposed to, supposedly you're supposed to be the fucking news when it comes to this stuff. And you're like having like kayfabe conversations with the commentator. Like this is wild, man. Um, So yeah, that's a, that was definitely a bit sad. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about also, I'll just pop it in here real quick. DPW. Deadlock Pro. Uh, you're familiar with the promotion? Yes. I have to say that it does exist. I've been the holdout for a while saying that it's not a real wrestling promotion. <laughs> it does actually exist. I watched the Believe the Hype show. This is actually a good wrestling company, man. They've got cool guys. They've got a lot of really great wrestlers. They've got interesting imports, and they're putting together some good matches. The crowds are fucking hot. The production looks solid, and the show that I watched had the main event of Andrew Everett versus Takashita, and it was fucking, it absolutely rocked. Like, this was, like, reminding me of uh, why Andrew Everett was, like, a good wrestler, why I actually liked him in the past. He's still doing the giant gimmick, but, like, he's doing it perfectly, mixing it in where it's not necessarily, like, a a full-on comedy thing. He's still also doing the underdog selling, which is, like, what made him so great in the past. Um, just really great face and peril, fiery underneath baby face selling. Like that match absolutely kicked ass. I would totally recommend it for the for all the freaks who are saying, like, oh, Takashita is the greatest wrestler in the world, and this and that, and loving every one of his matches. Like the Andrew Everett Takashita match is up there. I would say it's one of his better matches in the States, honestly. Um, compared to I've seen a bunch of them, like especially the ones on the indies, like outside of AEW, might be his best outside of AEW match. Maybe the speedball match is better, probably. Um, but I would say it's like pretty close. Yeah. So I definitely recommend this and I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this Quentin, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on DPW and you may have to do the same coming down the line here. I mean, it, I'm, it's DPW is interesting because I know you're not part of this world, but like people that I liked watching their wrestling content when I was, when I was younger run it. So yeah. it was always kind of a weird thing for me to even think about watching the promotion, but no, they're, they're they're not bad at all. They don't do bad, stupid things. So if they if they keep do if they keep going and wind up getting better, then I have no problem adding them to the list of promotions that we might uh give some give some time to whenever whenever we uh whenever we do whenever <laughs> yeah. we do the shows. 
Um, is it what it's like the new line or whatever or new legacy? Is that what it's new legacy? New legacy Inc. Um, yeah, that's one of the guys. But then there's another guy. Uh, I think he used to go by CM Pulse, but his name is James. He was another okay. one, and I think there's Tony the piece, Tony the piece of guy that I no no not Tony. The, I don't think Tony the piece of guy is part of part of that. Uh, probably Chris Denker or something, but at least those two. Um, are for sure part of it. So it's pretty is literally people that were from like the YouTube wrestling community that started a wrestling promotion. So of course, naturally, everyone's just kind of like, oh well, this is gonna suck. And yeah. it, it hasn't so far. So no, no, no. I mean, I I had no I have no fucking clue who those people are really. I've I've like yeah. I thought that New Line or New Legacy Inc. was like just the name of like a Twitch stream that like these people were on. I didn't know that, that was like a person. Um, and I just like heard it like referenced here and there. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds like, so I kind of probably thought it was like at the level of like OSW review where it's like just a bunch of like stupid people making dumb jokes that would not be interesting to me at all. Um, it, is a lot of, it, it is jokes, but it's not like wrestling reviewing stuff. They like play game. They play wrestling games. So they play okay. games in general. So gotcha. it, it would be, it would be that. So it wasn't like a big wrestling reviewing YouTube channel. It was guys fucking around playing video games and then okay it was a podcast the podcast got bigger and then it turned into a wrestling company all right well either way seems like a decent uh a decent promotion to follow keep an eye on it uh so Jack looks good there okay oh, go so, so are you saying that like are you saying that Kanosuke Takashita is the rookie of the year i am i'm saying that Kanosuke Takashita. that's another thing i have to say about the the dpw is that their their commentator when they came on the first thing that they said about it was like you know the ace of ddt yes <laughs> they instantly called him the ace of ddt they didn't like oh this hot young phenom this you know fresh faced japanese child who's come to america <laughs> they said andrew everett got got to go to ddt and now he's facing the ace of ddt here in america yeah you know what i mean they didn't fuck around so yeah like that was definitely that was uh that was definitely a positive, but yes, the the rookie of the year, Kanosuke Takashita, the guy who's been wrestling for a decade. Uh, <laughs> this is ah, uh, goddamn. You know what's like? Yeah. Well, Will Osprey's twenty nine. Yeah. Like, wow. I know. <laughs> I know. It feels fucking weird, man. Like, Will's twenty nine. Yeah. I mean, you know. He's still, I guess he's still, no, to me, Will doesn't really feel young anymore. That's like the weird thing. For the longest time, I like couldn't wrap my head around the fact that Saber was getting old. Mm. But like Will, I just just don't even think about it anymore. Here's the thing with Um, Will, though, is like, (laughs) and I know that you aren't particularly in the business, business of praising Will. You know, I don't think you hate him. But it's like, you watch Will and you watch stuff like the G1 final. And it's like after years of doing this stuff, and after all the speculation about injuries and his health and things like that, and he has toned things down and he's not doing a lot of stuff that he used to do. But when he wants to, when he wants to bust something out like that, um, like that corkscrew moonsault to the floor, or something, or something like that, and it's like, wow, like, I can, like, like damn, I forgot that you can still do that, and like you're 29 and you've done whatever your backyard wrestling history, you're traveling all over the world, doing whatever, and you're 29 and can still do that on top of all the things that you've 
developed and in my and in my opinion have gotten good at. It's just like I don't know when he's gonna not be able to do that stuff. And yeah. that's always like, man, maybe he maybe he is one of those guys like a ricochet or whatever that like even if he puts on this mask and bulks up and becomes what you want to call a true heavyweight style guy that mixes in junior heavyweight style stuff, like he still has that and it's I don't know, it's really impressive. Yeah, Osprey's a guy, it's hard for me um, because I think he's definitely one of the biggest idiots in the world. I've been watching him wrestle since he was literally a child. Um, He's insanely talented. He's, you know, on the last GWE ballot, I'm the only person who voted for him, right? That's a kind of something. So I've been a fan of his for a very long time, all this stuff. He's at the top of the top for the kind of shit that, like, I find insanely obnoxious in a lot of ways in the wrestling ring uh, and in some ways, you know what I mean? But I can appreciate it. But at the same time, he's like so insanely carny and so built for the wrestling industry that like I can see him having an insane fall from grace, uh, you know, gaining like 50 to 80 pounds wrestling like the fucking the caravan shows with a pot (laughs) belly. You know what I mean? And just this old fucking washed up man. And I just think he'll continue doing it and being like a carny motherfucker like he is now. And that's like, it's hard for me not to say that that's like insanely respectable. Is that like at the top of the world, he's a fucking carny motherfucker. And I think even if he ended up at the bottom of the fucking ocean, (laughs) he would still be a carny motherfucker just doing the same shit. And like, gotta hand it to him a little bit for that. Just knowing that like, this is just who Will Ospreay is, and he can't. He's very talented, obviously, naturally talented, um, and has some sense of like, I don't know, like taking, taking criticism, um, and like actually doing something with it. Because it's like any of the shit that people really talked about him, if if it gets out there long enough, he ends up like doing it, like changing it, fixing it, like the selling the 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 striking you know what i mean like the promo the whatever it is like he eventually kind of deals with it so it's kind of tough to like really really hate on him i get why people do and i get why people don't like his style because like i said he's he's really at the peak of some of the most annoying cringy bullshit yeah and, uh, and, and like even without doing that like he was literally in a, a, vic, a victim blamer and enabler of yeah. rape of rape culture like so it's like yeah even just based off of that it's he did fucking re- cultural appropriation and was part of like a fake lucha company in england like yeah. you can even get him on that <laughs> shit like the guy sucks in a lot of ways you twice know? And, did it twice yeah. <laughs> yeah right like this it's just he's he's not a good guy but he is authentically will osprey and he is insanely talented um you mentioned there that he's 29 you know who else is 29 years old quentin i don't know him dar Oh, is he is a part of NXT UK? Oh, which I, for, is... I somehow I somehow forgot about this. Oh yeah, okay. yes. Noam Dar is twenty nine years old, which is insane. Um, and I was thinking about that because I was saying if this motherfucker gets released, he's a a really good addition to anybody's uh anybody's roster. Um, but a ton of people did get released from NXT UK. Um, and NXT UK seems to be gone. Or changing 
into something else? Changing in the, uh, into, into NXT Europe in into 2023. NXT Europe? But we don't know what that means if they're releasing all these people. And if they were running a, a UK champion tournament that got like just completely fucking spoilered because they had Tyler Bates show up on NXT with the title? Yes. That was a weird one. That was a very much a like just hit reset on the Sega in the middle of playing the game. Just like just, fuck it, I don't care. Just kind of like wait, huh? What? Huh? You, you couldn't have waited a couple weeks for this. Yeah. What, did you did you really need Tyler Bate to show up that night so bad? And, yeah. And even if he was going to show up, could he have shown up without the title? Yeah, you could have like, just showed up, showed up without the title. <laughs> could yeah yeah uh, like they, like like they know who Tyler Bate is. He was an NXT regular NXT tag team champion already in the past. Like yeah, he's like, not like they know who Tyler Bate is. They didn't yeah. need to do that. Yeah, he was the first NXT UK champion. Like they didn't he's, need like oh well they're not going to take him seriously if he doesn't he's, have he's, the title. He's, he's, he's been on takeovers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that was that was strange. But um, NXT UK All finally, of the, coll- uh, finally collapsing. What are, what are, oh God, what are they? I know they're all like the Welsh guys, but I'm trying to think of what they called them. Like the, oh, fuck. Something um, underground or, or the six, six something or, I don't even, who cares? But you what know I, what I'm talking what, about. Yeah, Wild, yeah, what, Wild Boar, Mark Andrews, Flash Morgan Webster. Yeah. Uh, we're like the first, we're like the first names we saw uh, that have got, that have got released. Uh, other notable names, Shaw Samuels, Millie McKenzie, Ashton, Ashton Smith. Um, yeah. um, uh, Dave Mastiff. I see a report here that nothing is official, but his uh, on his Twitter, he seemed to have posted something that indicated that he's leaving. Um, yeah, so so or that he's been released. Um, and that's it, I guess, for NXT UK. And what does NXT Europe mean? What is it? And it's going to be part of a Worlds Collide event, which. Did they ever do the other worlds collide, or did it get canceled because of? They, uh, they did. Um, they, they, did them, they, right. they, they did. They did them around the time of like the Royal Rumble, I think. That's when they would usually do them. I remember. Yeah. Um, yes. But yeah, what do you think, man? Uh, that's uh now we uh we can finally put this wrestling scene to to, to bed. It can officially be dead now. There's no yeah. NXT UK to uh keep. Reminding us of what you of what used to be and what uh used to exist, and certain guys are still there and going to be under contract. Uh, Trent Seven, I don't know what the, was going on with Trent Seven. I would think he's still employed. Uh, but guys like Jordan Devlin, Aaliyah Dragunov, Tyler Bate, uh, look like they'll be look like they'll be sticking around. Uh, Pete Dunn has already made his way to the main roster, so yeah, he's safe. Um, but that's the end of NXT UK. And I want to remind people that Pete Dunn and others who signed NXT UK all said that this was fine. <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't support NXT UK, then you weren't really supporting British wrestling. And that this did not that this was not a death uh, death sentence for the uh for the for the Brit Rest Indies. And the uh, he earnestly believed that. And thought that, and five years later, not only are the British Indies dead, or somewhat dead, progress is back to the. Oh, to they're the, to dead. 
to the to, to the garage. Rev Pro still does fine, so that's what I'm saying. Do like they? That. Yeah. Do they still do fine? Are you sure? I, I said fine. I didn't say good. I said fine. Okay, I'm uh, a little trepidation on that. Quentin. I said I think fine. You're being a little nice. I said fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're being but, nice there. Rev Pro shows don't even show up on XWT anymore. That's fair. That's fair. But they show up more frequently than progress shows do. <laughs> that is fair. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, but not only are the British Indies dead, but now NXT UK is dead, and only four of the people that were on the brand have survived, as far as as far as we know. Yeah. Um, I think WXW still like technically exists, but yeah, that's uh that's not making the light of day. Mm-hmm. Nobody's watching those shows. Yeah, like I'd I'd have to like go actually subscribe. To I don't watch know those who, shows. who their fucking champions are. I don't even know if they have champions. Like, yeah, that's that's. Uh... Um, but Tim, um, our um, our feelings towards Brit uh Brit wrestling, English independent wrestling, European and European independent wrestling in general, aren't a secret of how big of fans we were of it and how much we cared about it and. Now, the abomination that was NXT UK is finally gone. And I'm fine perfectly tap dancing on NXT UK's grave and making fun of people. Because everyone on there, other than like, you know, there there were people that didn't really do much about this talking about it. Like Amelia McKenzie, I'm not going to really say much about Amelia McKenzie, but everyone else, you guys just. Got your contracts, got whatever little bit of money that WWE was giving you, the scraps that WWE was giving you, and said fuck the scene. And I'm like, and I get it. No one has any allegiance to any wrestling scene or wrestling company in general, and doing with better, like whatever. That's fine, but to sit there and do what Pete Dunne did, and what Flash Morgan Webster did, and what Mark Andrews did, but these guys did and talk about. Oh man, this is actually really good for independent wrestling. No, this is really good for yourself. And if you just say that that you yeah. that you put that you put your time in on the indies, you're ready to move on. And who cares? That's fine. No one would give a fuck. But you did all this performative shit about how much you still cared and about how this was actually going to wind up helping things. It wasn't going to be the death of things. If more more people got signed, more more people couldn't do couldn't do indie shows. And slowly, I was slowly. Pretty pretty quickly, they yeah, just completely yeah. just, just completely just completely sucked the life out of that scene. It was gone. It, I, everything that made that scene what it was was gone. And for what? A fucking branch of WWE that no longer exists anymore. Yeah. I hope you like. I hope you yeah. guys made your money off of it. I hope you they hope they I hope they hope they made some money. I hope they have enough to be comfortable for a little bit, but. That's that scene is gone now. It's it's literally gone. Not just because NXT UK, obviously, that's a lot due to speaking out and the rampant sexual sexual misconduct and abuse and harassment that was going on all throughout the scene that was that was left that was left unchecked that is still leaving it in shambles and the knees of repairing. But you guys did this. You guys did this, and no one would have cared if you just left. But the perform the performance and act that you put on about it is what makes this a day where you get, where everyone is gonna get dunked on because you guys should have just took your money and shut the fuck up, but you didn't. 
Yeah, it's I mean, if you were if you were like an ICW freak, like Wolfgang or something like whatever, take the contract, get the money that like more money than you're probably going to get doing that shit forever. But like the guys who were actually part of like building something like someone like a Flash Morgan Webster who like was making a living off of professional wrestling, basically. Um, you had multiple people that were in that, you know, suit, uh, Eddie Dennis, like guys who were actually like, yeah, like there was a lot of people. There was people also like it was like the territories. This was really a small scale version of the territories getting destroyed by Vince. And the same thing that we talked about with the people saying that Vince made wrestling like bigger than it ever was like NXT UK became the only thing. All of the people that were making a living being professional wrestlers in the U in England basically completely lost their fucking shit and have nothing left now and have to go back to the real world where either they have to have another job and also wrestle or they have to just give up on wrestling in general. Like that's where we're at now because of this. And it was like Pete, Pete fucking said it at the time. And it was so funny because we we're doing that podcast. Like I was doing this week in wrestling back then. And Pete just said, it's like the same fucking playbook and it's worked out to a T they shrunk the business. It does. It no longer exists. There's nobody left who's making a fucking living off of professional wrestling in the UK. And now they just fired the very small people who kind of were uh, and closed up shop and they're leaving because they fucking sucked the life out of the whole island. Um, and you know what? They had it coming. <laughs> fuck England. Fuck the British. Fuck it. <laughs> like, it sucks for... You know, someone like a Dan Makabe, previous guest of the podcast, obviously he probably wasn't going to go back to England ever again, but a guy like him who could go there and wrestle someone like Jordan Brakes and have like a great match, um, you know, have some great wrestling matches with some really good wrestlers over there. The fact that that just kind of doesn't exist anymore um, and probably won't exist for a while. But like, yeah, it's just it is what it is. But uh, definitely um, not a shocker. And like you said. Millie McKenzie gets a pass. A lot of these other people do not. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. Want to, want to talk about Jordan Devlin posting a picture of... Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and uh, so reminiscing about Spot the good the old nonce. days. Yeah, you want to play? Of, uh, yeah. you know, while Travis Banks and El Liguero and, uh, and others are pictured. The- yeah, that was a that was a good one. That was Jesus Christ. How many people? That was that, literally spot the nonce, man. That was like that, that was fu- that was fucking horrific. Like I like I can't even. <laughs> I was gonna say I can't even believe he did that, but like you yeah, know, this surprising. is yeah, <laughs> you know, not like, from Devlin, man. He's been a real piece of shit the whole time. Yeah, I was like, wow, like Jesus, like Jesus Christ, like Travis Banks and El Liguero are in this picture, <laughs> <laughs> like that, and he's like. Yeah, and he's talking about like uh, what, like um, you know, we'll, we'll be back like together. We'll be, yeah, we'll all be back together. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll be, we'll be back together one day. And I'm like, what? Wait, are you? <laughs> what? Yeah, we're all gonna be hanging out. You didn't Jesus. have, any, you didn't have any other picture. Like that's the thing. Like you chose to want to include Travis Banks and El Liguero in this post. You could have. There was, pro- there had to be numerous pictures you could find. Of after that that you could have used, but obviously I'm not expecting yeah. much of Jordan of Jordan Devlin when he has his own allegations and situations that uh that he that he that, he, that he's been a part of, but that just fucking floored me to see. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, you know, 
I guess it is what it is. I'm like trying yeah. to see who else is in there. Who else is in here that shouldn't be in here? Um, I mean, uh, I guess obviously Sid Scala. Yes. Um, we've also got Trent Seven, who no one's talking about. Uh, you know, obviously Wolfgang is another one that's in there. Uh, so, yeah. the co- the co- the coffees. Yeah, both. Co- I mean, have did did they get in trouble well, for anything? One, at least one of them did. Okay, because I could have sworn they should they're showing up on NXT or. Or WWE or something. I heard people. Yeah, at least, like yeah at least at least at least one of them did. I do not know which one. I don't remember which one of them, which one it was, but at least one of them. Ah, Jesus. Of course. That, of course. That happening. That's great. Yeah, that's a, that's a brutal picture, man. That is uh, definitely definitely not uh, the best to be. Yeah, to be posting and being like just so forlorn for all your fallen buddies. Meanwhile, you're on NXT, fucking losing to Braun Breaker, right? Yeah. Which hey, you know what? Braun Breaker, good, good on him. I think uh, Braun Breaker seems like whatever. I mean, he's one of the Steiner's kids, so who knows how much of a fucking psychopath he actually is? Uh, yeah, we don't know what to expect from Braun Breaker. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Um, all right, Quentin, you ready to get into some of this AEW stuff? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, what do you want to get to? You want to get to? Well, I guess, I guess, I guess it works fine because this was the opening segment. It opens the show, yeah. Yeah, this this opening segment. So I guess this is uh, gives us an excuse for it. Um, yeah. CM Punk is back, returned with a promo uh, to the confrontation he had with Moxley last week, and some stuff is coming out about that. Whether you believe it or not is a obviously is up to you, but starts off. With some shots of Hangman in West in West Virginia, instantly, uh, instantly. The first thing is, he uh, says and- <laughs> a wrestler is a wrestler on the roster from around here. Hangman Page, I'm gonna challenge you to a rematch. Sets the title down, crosses his legs, and then talks about Hangman not coming out. Call it said the apology should be allowed. Uh, should be allowed to disrespect, and that's not coward shit. That's not cowboy shit. That's coward shit. Uh, and just ran, just ran down, uh, Hagman Page, really. <laughs> um, yeah. So <sighs> then stuff comes. Then stuff comes out about uh, Punk was even originally originally going to be on the show, and or he was going to no show. He was going to come. He, he was going to uh, that Punk was going to no show, apparently, and that uh, there's some level of tension between. Hangman and Punk and Hangman's uh, a promo Hangman did uh, apparently Punk felt was going into business for himself and that's where a lot of Punk's issues are coming from and whatever uh, Hangman's grievances are with Punk and there is a real AEW AEW guy versus XWWE guy tension in the company so if I'm missing something, you can add more, but that is just the reports of what is coming out uh, with this particular part of the CM Punk Hangman uh, Hangman segment. So, Tim, what do you what do you the make re- of this part of, of these parts the- from coming from Sean Ross Sap, uh, Meltzer, some other some other places that we've gotten some info from? What, what do you, what do you think? So the melt the initial Meltzer thing, I kind of was like, okay, let me see if anybody else picks up on this because Meltzer gets worked by everyone. Like I said, even Kevin Kelly. 
Um, so it's kind of like I think he's just like falling for some real bullshit, you know. And then obviously, S, you know, Sean Rossap did as well. Sean Rossap, even I heard um, today, still like in the context of talking about this and being like, I'm not getting work. I've never been worked. I'm not getting worked, you know, and as he turns into a corn cob kind of situation. Uh, felt the need to still reference like, you know, and uh, and you know the the MJF stuff was started out as a work, and 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 history will vindicate me on that. Um, you know, he had to like double down on pointing out that he actually was right, and that was never fake, even though like tons of people have discredited it and basically said like whatever his story is about the plane ticket thing is like just not true. Like I'm sure that Sean saw some kind of plane ticket thing that he really believes, according to him, he did. Um, but it's just not true. It just was never true. And like, he's saying history is going to vindicate me on this or whatever. And prove, like, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, he's buying it. Joe Lanza voices of wrestling is reporting on it. So here's the thing that gets confusing to me. And maybe it's telephone. Maybe it's certain people having certain things. This is why this is like, I think the perfect storm situation where everybody's getting worked there's nobody who covers wrestling maybe the torch maybe wade's the only person who's who's got a critical eye towards this and, and we should all be paying attention to the torch more but i just i have stopped i let my subscription lapse and i just stopped paying attention um this was the perfect storm situation for everyone to get worked because all the other guys just want to get worked and they fall for it all the time and then you've got lanza who's usually the only one who kind of like questions this stuff and doesn't fall for it, but it links back to his favorite thing, which is the workers rights hangman promo. So he's so blind with rage over that. And like remembering how mad he got about that whole thing that he's not using his critical brain to realize that this is a fucking work and he's falling for it. So I kind of saw that and I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Like this is a perfect storm situation because Lanza's like, oh yeah, fuck that. That workers' rights thing. Of course, of course, Punk got mad at that because that was the most enraging thing that anyone's ever done on a wrestling show. Um, because here's the thing: the reports are are saying this shit, and the Sean Rossap report, which is amazing because everyone's putting it like the thing that Punk thought was was Page going into business for himself and took it too far was the workers' rights promo and mentioning that and blah blah blah. And then the report from Sean Rossap says. Um, that the, the difference here being that, you know, when, when Hangman took his shots and went on Liberty, Punk wasn't even there. But when Punk did this one, at least Paige was in the building, right? So, like, mm. kind of like this weird thing, like, coming from Punk's side. But the fucking workers' rights promo was a face-to-face -face in the ring. So Punk was in the goddamn building. He was standing a fucking inch away from the guy. So yeah. if you're reporting... <laughs> Your report to so your reporting is just completely fucked. Your like storylines are completely mixed up and you're not getting it either. Like these, everyone is just so busy, like tripping over their own dick to like report this fucking story. Cause they've got their own like reasons that they're really into it, that they're not even stopping for a second and being like, wait a minute. Like, what the fuck does this mean? Punk side is saying at least punk was like a man enough to call out page while he's in the building when page wouldn't do the same. And it's like, but, but the thing you're saying, he crossed the fucking line. He was standing in the ring with him. So this is all just like, go ahead. So, so pretty much it gets to the point where like, okay, like if if we're leaning to the, toward the work side, then that means that someone is just feeding whatever they can think of to say whatever the tension is between Punk and Hangman, which might exist. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Sure. Like I, I think everything with this AEW stuff, I do believe the the idea that there's tension 
there, there's real tension between AEW guys, quote unquote, and SWWE guys. I do think that is a real thing. I don't think that is a necessarily made up thing. It's happened too many times for it to be a made up thing. But another particular Hangman and Punk stuff, yeah, if the workers' rights thing was literally in front of Punk's face, then what are we talking about? Yeah, it just it's clearly just people buying into stuff and, and getting getting too caught up in the moment to really remember what the fuck is going on because they just want to buy into this. Now, here's the thing I have to say. I'm with you in that I believe that there's probably some issues there. I I believe that people are, are hot, they're upset, they've got their own reasons for this and that. I don't think it's all this. Like, I don't think that this was Punk going into business for himself, blah, 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 this and that. But I do want to... to just take the moment to remember, to remind people what I fucking said from the moment that it was becoming clear that Punk and Danielson were coming into this company and there was the conversation about the championship and who should be the champion. And I said, I think that they're equal enough as stars and giving the title to Punk means that you end up with this kind of headache where Punk gets prickly and he doesn't want to do media and he doesn't want to show up and he's being a fucking dick because he always has been. And if you gave the title to Brian Danielson, you're not going to have these fucking problems. And I said that from before these guys showed up in the company. And okay. here it comes. And I guess I was proven right because Danielson is out here fucking giving everything to, to Daniel Garcia, making this guy a fucking star, taking losses, bleeding giving you match of the year contender fucking shit and punk is possibly stirring up shit and pissing people off backstage. You know okay. what I mean? So if I had to give a punk defense, right. Without knowing many of the details of the, of the situation, imagine if you're CM punk and you did come there with the best intentions, the Colt Cabana thing is a looming cloud over this and their relationship. And how do you, how you feel about Colt Cabana quote unquote being banished to ROH? That is a fair thing. But if you're punk and you came here with the best intentions, you didn't step on anybody's toes. You didn't do any of that stuff for to believe that punk didn't. But people in the company, guys that have been there longer, maybe since the beginning of the company, felt the type of way about you coming back, feeling like you're here for a paycheck, feeling like you're here because you ran out of money or things like that. You're going to take all this attention from these guys. And you're like, well, what the fuck? I've been busting my ass since I came back. I'm pretty consistent on TV. I have really good matches. I've gone up and down the roster. I've give I've given different guys chances. I've wrestled Powerhouse Hobbs and Lee Moriarty. I've done the same the same kind of work that you guys have done. I'm not just popping in like I'm Brock Lesnar here. I'm working. And if I did all of this for the last year or so that I that I've been with the company, and that's the reaction that I'm getting. Despite all of that, yeah, I'd be a little fucking annoyed at a point because I'm like, dude, what is your fucking problem? That and that's assuming that, and that's assuming that Punk's been on his best behavior, that he hasn't been uh like cur like cursing out producers and and the people and the people that are more uh more empowered creatively and shitting on other wrestlers and things like that. If he's been on his been on his best behavior for Punk standards and he's just going out there and working and wrestling. And earning his keep. And this is still the reaction that people like Hangman Page are giving him. At some point, 
I would think it'd be fair to be like, all right, dude, what the fuck is your problem? I mean, it's been like a year, but like a little over a year, but not like much longer than a year yeah. that he's been with the company. Um, and there's it makes sense for people to be trepidatious about him coming in and taking a spot. And again, like I said, if you have the Danielson comparison, you've got Danielson who sees the investment that the company is making in someone like Jade who needs attention from someone to train her. And he's he goes out of his way to spend time with her in the ring. And then he also during the same time, like just has open ring hours where people, if anyone wants to get in there, they can. They just like kind of have to schedule it with him because so many people want to. You see what I'm saying? But he says, oh, but I always make sure that I make time for Jade. So it's like, okay, like he's open to helping anybody, but he also sees like what the important thing is for the company. Right. Which the, is fine. The fact that he doesn't start any shit. He never does. He And the thing about Punk, too, is that Punk's a fucking asshole. No, for, no, I'm sorry. For, for, no, for what is worth, Punk's, I, I agree with you. Like, I understand. Like, I yeah, agree yeah. with you that if we're going to have put someone in that position, even if Punk is the bigger star, Danielson is safer. I agree with you on that. But I'm saying from this perspective, if Punk really hasn't been whatever like this reputation is preceding him preceding him as, if he's really been on his been on his best behavior, and despite all of that, despite the despite the fact that he's gone out there and given a really good match to Hangman, a match I thought was fucking great. Uh yeah. the stuff the stuff with MJF, the stuff with Eddie Kingston, the stuff that he the stuff that he did coming in, his he was he was Messing around with with F, with FT with FTW and Team Taz when he when he when he first came in he wrestled Lee Moriarty on TV he wrestled QT Marshall on TV he came back in his first match with Darby Allen and thing and, th- and things like that like yeah I mean he also had a great match with Garcia mm-hmm. like I feel like that's the part that I'm saying yes it could be true that Punk is an asshole is prickly whenever he whenever he gets whenever he's whenever he's at a certain point my point is. What if he wasn't like that? And then the attitude that he's gotten from other people backstage that other wrestlers, for whatever the reasons may be, is what pushed him this way. Because I don't think you could look at Punk's track record in AEW and what he's done. And he might not be Brian Danielson. That's fine. A lot of people aren't Brian Danielson in terms of the hand that they're willing to reach out to make sure to, to, to look out for other to look out for other wrestlers. They might be doing it in different ways, might not be doing it as much. We don't know. But if you're CM Punk, and if you've been in there with Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks and Daniel Garcia and Lee Moriarty and Darby Allen and MJF and Hangman Page and all these homegrown AEW guys, and for some reason the reaction is, fuck this guy still, yes, at some point, even if he's an asshole, I think he's fair to be like, hey, man, what, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. Like I said, I think it's pretty quick to to go that way. You can't. It's not as if people have been treating him fucking unfairly for years and years or something. And it's just he's at his wits end again. It is what it is. I get where he's coming from in that regard. But like I said, even on Punk's best behavior, he's a dick and he pisses people off because even if you say that all that other stuff is true. And like I said, he's been on his best behavior. He hasn't been any of that stuff. When he gets out there on the mic, he can't help it. But during his promos, like 
be kind of a dick and take some shots that are probably crossing a line a little bit for some people and then and they don't appreciate so that's one of the things that's the funniest part about this is that theoretically somehow the story is being presented that punk is mad because he thinks that Paige crossed the line because punk is a fucking habitual line stepper he loves crossing the line and he does it all the goddamn time so it's like really man like and that's why i also don't think that this is legit because i don't think that punk is the kind of guy who can dish it but can't take it you know what i mean mm. Punk has always been fine. He understands it's a promo. I'm sure punk, that punk, he, yeah, punk, like, punk is a, punk is a worker's worker. Yeah. So like that's the other part of it that makes the shit seem so fucking fake. Like it's so ridiculous. Like I can't imagine Punk got mad. He got his feelings hurt because of fucking Paige making a, a you know a joke or or making a reference to the workers' rights thing and and the whole thing like saying like oh he thinks that this is like a reference to Cabana. That's the weirdest part about it because that's the 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 story being presented that. From Punk's side of things, he felt like Adam Page was making a reference to Colt Cabana is the closest thing we have to Punk engaging with the concept that there's an issue between him and Colt Cabana in AEW. And that's kind of nuts to think about. Because if you think this is a work or you don't think this is a work, either way, it's kind of weird because up until this point, if Colt Cabana and Punk have been brought up together, there has been, it's been a no comment. It's been radio silence. There's been no reference and no communication, no talking about it. Tony Khan won't reference anything directly. Punk won't, neither, none of them will. So the idea that like, this is the closest that we've come to there being like Punk actually acknowledging that there's an issue there does make me wonder what the fuck is going on there. That's they're not, and that's where we agree. I think whatever punk, whatever whatever's coming out, I don't feel like is the actual issue. I feel like it's a general attitude or whatever that he feels like he's getting from Hangman and others regarding his tenure in tenure in AEW and and the Cabana stuff. Not the workers' rights thing necessarily, but Cabana's been there since day one. You kicked him to the curb for this guy who's a fucking leech, or whatever they're calling him, or what. Like, if, if I feel like it's more of that. If that if that if that's going on, but whatever they're presenting on the screen or feeding to meet to news outlets, no, I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you that I don't think it's that. It's one of those things where I feel like AEW's works are there's a lot of truth to AEW's works. It just depends on what they're feeding to Meltzer and whoever else and what they're willing to give out. But I don't I don't doubt there's truth to this situation, and then. You complicate it with MJF possibly coming back, right? And there they had they had Moxley and Punk, and it was a really good promo segment actually. I, that overshadows how good Moxley and Punk was uh, in their in their two segments. But they have a couple pull apart brawls, and now there's a Moxley and Punk match set for next week on Dynamite, and. They mentioned that Mox and Punk was the match for All Out numerous times on the Dynamite broadcast. So with this being announced for Dynamite, now it leaves the questions of what exactly are they doing here? I'm thinking it's going to be a no contest type of thing. These guys can keep their hands off each other. They'll finish this at All Out. That's what I would think. But then there's also some people saying that would it be the most shocking thing in the world if MJF came out and did whatever and it's MGF in the main event versus versus one of these guys. 
Yeah, I honestly, I really buy into the like, I think, I think it was actually Robert who like referenced that MJF said uh, that he would give Punk his most embarrassing loss. But MJF has already beaten Punk, right? Yeah, he already, he already beat him. So what would be the most embarrassing loss, right? Andy's a, he Andy, comes Andy, back from... Andy's a heel. Okay. He already beat him. He already cheated. Yeah. So for him, that's a win. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So to me, the most embarrassing loss from Punk is he comes back from injury as the champion who never defended his title, and he loses like, to the interim champion Moxley. Basically, his making his title reign an embarrassment. Basically, he was a paper champion who never really deserved it because, you know, there's the MMA, the UFC, which is this is great because they can even reference this. Like, I, I don't remember who it is, but someone in the UFC saying, like, you know, you're not a champion until you defend the title. And Punk never actually defended the title. And he loses it to the interim champion and Moxley. And it's, uh you know, MJF gives him that loss. I think that that would be that would play right into the storyline. The most embarrassing loss of Punk's career, really, you know, like that, that whole thing. Um. And yeah, the one thing that did cross my mind is it's very funny to have Punk and MJF feuding while they're both doing this shoot, you know, the shooty shoot like thing and both of them like disliking the company and and the boys and everything else because it reminded me of um when Tommaso Ciampa and Mike Elgin were re- were feuding with each other and then they both turned into like shoot renegades and by the end of it they were feuding with each other but they both hated the company. Mhm. It was like this weird and like, oh, my God, Punk and, and uh, MJF are doing the same fucking storyline. So um, the so the people are people are on Twitter making a lot of parallels to like Bret Hart 1997 with uh yeah. with the, with this story. And it, it wouldn't it doesn't like I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this is what's going on. If anything, I think that's like the likely thing that's going on. But this goes back to a thing I've talked about on here with you. I feel like you somewhat bought into but didn't totally agree with that Punk has been the bad guy the whole time in these yeah. storylines and that if Eddie Kingston MJF Hangman and others, others sprinkled in are all saying the same thing then at some point someone's telling the truth like Someone like right. it, it, it can't be three different times, three different people who don't like each other or have any type of relationship with each other. It's just like it's like real life. <laughs> Multiple people say the same thing about somebody that at some point you got to believe that it's true. And right. I feel I feel that that was a very valid theory when it came to Punk's storylines in AEW so far. And Punk has had moments where he's done some heelish shit. The pom- the promo that we talked that we're talking about the hangman the hangman stuff felt heelish felt like kicking felt like kicking a guy while he was down and then the Moxley stuff felt like felt a little heelish too so this is not the first time Punk has done this where he's done a promo where he where he felt a little heelish sometimes he does it in Long Island but that's the whole MJF thing but even the stuff with Eddie Kingston even if Eddie even if Punk had valid points in the Eddie Kingston feud. Punk and how he comes across kind of comes across like an asshole during, during during that stuff, and I do think we're getting to a point here where at some point Punk has to be the asshole. It can't just be everyone is out to get CM Punk, everyone's this, everyone's that. 
And it feels like Punk should show us two colors at some point. And I'm not saying it should be a, like a weight and heel turn. If anything, I think this is a really great opportunity to explore like shades of gray in uh in characters. And I feel like it's like the way that they set it up is really good if you're looking at Hangman and Punk and MJF and John Moxley all doing this type of thing at the same time. I think it's a I think it's a really interesting thing. But like I said, I feel like at some point, and now I'm starting to like come more full picture. At some point, it has to be proven right that CM Punk is the bad guy. Yeah, right. I mean, here's the thing, right? That's like facts are facts are like, you know, what happened. Just the facts. Just give me the, the, the actual like reality of what happened. But the truth, the truth is kind of what like society decides, right? It's like kind of a um uh it's a yeah, it's a it's a societal like kind of decision on what's true. So punk could have the best intentions and you know have been actually trying to do good and all this stuff the whole time. But when it comes down to it, like you said, the promos and the way that everyone feels when they interact with him and just the snide little stuff that he does, it doesn't matter that like his intentions were good and that in all actuality, he was always making, you know, the best decisions and all this. Like if society decides that he's an asshole, he's an asshole. That's just the truth of it. So Eventually, you got to get there and just let it be what it is. Um, the Eddie stuff, I mean, you even, you mentioned the Eddie feud, but even the Eddie stuff in this particular promo was yes. like, why is why did Kingston need to fucking catch strays for no goddamn reason? <laughs> yeah, it, it felt it felt like a, it felt like a guy kind of like, kind of showing his true colors. Like, oh, like all right, damn, like that's over. That happened again. But here's the thing: even if that's the case, right? This is why I like this storyline, and I know that people don't like work shoot stuff, but this is why I think in this case it works. You can say, damn, Punk, why are you being an asshole? But every time with Eddie, he always takes a shot at Punk, takes a shot at Claudio, takes a shot at whatever. Like, he does that all the time on Twitter. So why why is Punk suddenly wrong? Because Because he takes a jab at Eddie. Like... And I know the and I know that people are over this kind of stuff, and they always associate it with like bad WCW or bad just bad wrestling storylines. Period. But there's a times where I think it's done really well, and I feel like this is a case where it's done well because I genuinely don't think Punk is wrong in a lot of these situations. How can Eddie? How come Eddie gets unlimited shots at me, but then I can't say something to him? Well, it's just like I said, it's, it's, you know, facts versus the truth, which is that, you know, yeah. Eddie's a, Eddie's lovable and he's a good guy, punks an asshole and he mm-hmm. doesn't need to be throwing out strays or whatever. And, and, and I get it, Quentin, you can't help it because you came up on wrestling from Vince Russo era TNA. So <laughs> the work shoot is fine with you, but for some of us, we can't handle it. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I think, I think that some of this stuff goes over the top. I could do without the working the fucking dirt sheet, but part of it is also like part of it is also like the ecosystem of the dirt sheets and Twitter and everything kind of ramps it up on their own. So I don't know how much you can blame it on, you know, Tony Khan playing into it, AEW playing into it as much as you can just say that, like, that's just how like kind of the wrestling, the internet wrestling community is at this point where it doesn't matter what's going on, they're going to make it into this um, big deal because I could do without it feeling like 
just over the top oppressively like oh my god oh my god this and this and it's coming out and it's work and it's it's a shoot and it's really real this guy fucking hates this guy and they're and they're feuding and all that stuff like it just it becomes like so in your face but yeah i mean maybe if the internet wasn't the way that it was it wouldn't be as bad because one thing i will say is that the AEW work shoot stuff is a little bit more subtle you know they're not as like bad about it you don't get punk is not coming out here and you know saying like uh you know god like you know saying like this is phil talking to you 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 did get that for a second from um mjf but you know he said max yeah which is like that's his real name that's that's what i'm finally that's his name so like yeah it's fine yeah he kind of did it with the eddie thing right because people are saying that like uh saying eddie like oh you're the third best eddie was a reference to um umaga because you know mm. you know ecmo um Probably. so it's like oh okay Probably. yeah like you're, call- you're calling you're calling him eddie and nobody ever called him that in wrestling right or whatever but you know i was trying to think of who else he could be referring to i'm like i don't think i don't think cm punk wrestled eddie gilbert i don't think he did <laughs> no no yeah i was doing the same thing i was trying i was think i was trying to figure out who it was and i was like it has to be a shoot name thing the, the, the punk like the punk wrestle eddie edwards i don't think he yeah. did <laughs> i think actually he might have um but i was like trying to look up like I, this is definitely he did wrestle eddie edwards actually i did look it up because i i think i saw somebody else mention that and i was like i don't think that's what he means though <laughs> yeah um, it, it probably is a manga but then I yeah so then I was like going down the rabbit hole and I was like okay who's got their their shoot name is like Ed Edward Ed whatever mm. you know and then okay Umaga and I saw some other people say Umaga and I was like okay that's it you know like that makes sense because we talked about it in the past they had some kick ass matches with each other yeah um so like yeah that would uh, make sense I guess oh damn I didn't even know I didn't even look this up but I guess that Umaga did wrestle as Eddie Fatu at one point um, oh he. he- I think yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I did remember ECMO, you know, the, the playoff mm. of that. So there was that, and uh, oh god, no, I'm trying to remember. Either way, th- this is not. I was trying to think. There was Rosie. <laughs> oh, but it was Jay Mall. Yeah, it was before he had done the Umaga thing. Um, right, it was Rosie, like R O Z, and then J. Yeah, either way, that was um all Japan. Um, but uh, let me see. Um. Yeah, I mean, so this promo was like peak heel, like it was heel, heel punk, like, and it was interesting because you know what it was? It wasn't, I was gonna say it's peak heel punk, but it wasn't like in the sense that like of what punk used to do as a heel in the past, just being very vitriolic and overbearing and, you know, cutting like this promo was a different kind of heel promo from punk in that he was being obnoxious. And like, that was not necessarily ever like the heel punk thing. He was being childish and obnoxious like, and above it. And it's weird because talking this out, like it makes perfect sense because it plays into the whole character or the whole shoot of it that like people think that he's coming in here and he thinks he's better than everyone and all this stuff. And rather than doing the, you know, the old school punk, like, like I said, overbearing and like um, cutting and, you know, I'm straight edge and that means I'm better than you. And like where he's like, 
he's covering up for his deficiency by talking about being better than other people. Right. And like talking himself up and talking other people down instead. It's like, no, he's like so confident in the fact that he's better than everyone that he doesn't need to say it. He's just being like really dismissive and shitty doing fucking snow angels. When, when Moxley's trying to talk, he's talking over him repeatedly and interrupting him. The smirk. Like, yeah, the, the the smirk and just being above it. And that's why, like, it's so good because the old punk was a heel who he had to he had to go out of his way. Basically, he like had a fucking confidence issue and he was trying to prove to himself and everyone else that he's better than the people. And this punk heel like knows that he's better than everyone else. So he doesn't even have to he doesn't even feel like he has to engage with other people like they're on his level. Um, yeah, this was um it worked for me because I was really fucking annoyed. I was like, <laughs> this guy needs to shut the fuck up. He's pissing me off and I just don't want to have anything to do with him. And by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, like he's got to be going heel. Because any, like, any, any didn't take like, uh, like the obvious shot. Like he didn't take the, like the Moxley, like having an alcohol problem shot, which like is no, <laughs> like would be no, which is right, is right there. But he hasn't even taken that obvious shot. It's like, so like who knows if he will. Who knows if this Moxley punk stuff continues after all out? We don't know, but that's look, man. I get it. People's tolerance for this kind of stuff, they see it and it and it's cringy and annoying. And I get it. You just it just a lot of bad memories happens when you talk about work shoot stuff. But I feel like in this case, where I don't think it's gonna overshadow the actual matches. I don't feel like it overshadowed it with the punk MJF matches. Um I don't feel like I've overshadowed it with the Punk Eddie match it with the, with the Punk Eddie match, and I don't think it'll over overshadow it with whatever they plan on doing with with Moxley and Punk. Gun to my head, I don't think MJF comes back on Dynamite. I I don't think Tony Khan yeah. has to. I don't. I think I, I. Go ahead. I I know that people are still skittish or apprehensive to praise Tony all the time. I don't think Tony's done anything nearly stupid enough. To he's had some faux pas, but to think that he would jeopardize a really big main event by inserting Max when he doesn't need to, and he could just wait until after the match is over, I don't think Tony is that stupid. I just, I just, I just don't. I feel like they'll have whatever type of no contest, and it happens, and oh, this is so crazy, but this is confirmed for all out, and we'll see you guys on Sunday. Do whatever. Well, I don't think Tony's nearly that stupid as to just like put together like just yeah, I'm gonna just fuck over Moxie versus Punk so I can assert MJF into the situation. MJF is gonna be a big deal no matter what when he comes back. He doesn't you don't need to do that now. I know I think Tony's smarter than that. So under my head, I think that this all works out really well for the company and they tell an interesting story. And Punk and Moxley have a great match at All Out, and they move on to whatever the MJF story is. But I, I have no reason to think Tony is as dumb as people like to think Tony is. He just hasn't done anything that dumb yet. Yeah. I think um, you talking about that right now was the first time that it actually crossed my mind because I accidentally... So I accidentally worked myself into a shoot or or like confused my brain um, into thinking that... like when I made a joke a couple days ago that that was like a legitimate um, option, um, which it, it was not, but I made a joke saying like that uh, Moxley should just, or Punk should just forfeit the title and give it to Moxley because I don't want to actually see Moxley kill him. And that at the pay-per-view, they should just rerun uh, Moxley versus Despy. 
uh, because that match ruled when they did it on New Japan Strong. Um, and for some reason in, in my brain, I like just completely wrote off like, oh, they could do something at the pay-per-view that would make sense because I already had the idea. And then now that I'm thinking about it, like that's not um, an op- like that's not a, a pay-per-view main event for all out. They can't do Moxley versus Despy. Um, so, yeah, that's not that's not actually going to happen. So, yeah, like if now that I think about it, um, it wouldn't make any sense to do that, because if you insert MJF into this whole thing, yeah, it makes it like really confusing and stupid. My thought was like not was like going the other way, like we would have MJF fuck over punk and then that would lead to a continued MJF versus punk feud without mm. the title and Moxley would do something else. But uh, yeah, it is kind of like, what do you then do with Moxley at the pay-per-view? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe you could do Moxley versus Danielson, but that seems like that's already set. You could do Moxley versus Claudio. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it does make the most sense that they just go with next week. It goes fucking crazy. Everything pops off and you end up with uh, no contest. And you'll, 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 just, 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 but just think about it. Like, Punk has made friends this time in uh, in AW. So is it is it really out of the wrong possibility that like shit gets crazy and uh, FTR and Darby and Sting come out and the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club come out? Like, is it is that really yeah right outside the normal possibility? Because I think we, no, always, no. we, we, we kind of think of Punk being like this lone wolf character, but, he, but he's not. He has on screen alliances and friends, and I don't think it'd be out of their own possibility to see to see it devolve into that and maybe go raw style or whatever type of whatever whatever you want to say and it turn into a big tag later like who knows but i also but i also really just don't think that i just don't think tony's that dumb i know people want tony to be that dumb but and at least in terms of wrestling booking he hasn't proven to be that dumb yet yeah no no that's true all right <laughs> so we were going to review Danielson versus Garcia, two out of three falls. That was the reason why this was going to be an AEW episode, which is very funny because all this other stuff happened. Yes. But Quentin, <laughs> talk to me about the two out of three falls match. Uh, I, this is my favorite of the Danielson and Gar Garcia matches. It might be in my top five for match of the year. Honestly, I thought this was phenomenal. Daniel Garcia is a really really special wrestler and it's not just because of execution even though he executes everything he does in the ring super well from the sharpshooter to his chops his european uppercuts he executes so well but his facial expressions are among the best of anyone in wrestling right now in general and maybe the best he tells a story with his facial expressions so naturally that it's almost not fair and you can see the arrogance point so you can see the you can see the the scared side you can see the nervous side you can see the not knowing what to do you can see the holy shit what do i do now type of reaction when danielson is uh fire is firing up and just shrugging off certain shots of his and everything else he knows when he like the jay white thing i talk about where i love her how big and strong jay white is and he knows his character isn't isn't based on him being big and strong so he throws a forearm and he doesn't go out there and try to trade with anybody that's like a bigger threat than him. If he's facing Kota Ibushi or, or, or Tomo Hiroishi, Jay White's going to sell their forearm like it just fucking obliterated him because he can't strike the same way that they do. Daniel Garcia did a similar thing here where he's out there facing Danielson and Garcia can strike. We know Garcia can strike, 
But the point is, Danielson hits harder. And so going out there and trying to prove he can hit as hard as Brian Danielson, he sells his ass off when Danielson hits him. And to be 23 years old and get that just doesn't happen. He's just so immensely talented and smart. And there were so many little things I loved, I loved about this. I love the pace. I love how it felt like anything could happen here. We're so early into the match. And next thing you know, Danielson is slapping Garcia and drops him with a brain buster, which is like, I don't even know the last time I've saw Danielson do a brain buster. Uh, I love the, I love the falls. I loved how much Danielson gave to Garcia here. Even Danielson's first fall being, being in a fluky pin combination way and Garcia's fall coming in, coming in, coming by way of submission and just the way in which it was used to start showing Garcia's tenacity and his fighting spirit and everything like that towards the end as Danielson's doing everything that he can to finally put him away and all the rope-a-dope stuff that Danielson was doing, baiting Garcia into doing certain things that Danielson wanted him to do. And I thought this was I thought this was really, really well executed. Not quite my match of the year, but it's super high up there. And man, I just don't know what to say about Brian Danielson at this point. I don't know when I'm gonna when he's gonna stop being a great wrestler, when he's gonna stop being the best wrestler in the world at any given night, because he might not be the wrestler of the year this year, which is fine. But this guy still has the Garcia series, the Mox the Moxley match, certain tags. This this guy, uh, the hang the hangman match <laughs> from January, and he might not be the wrestler of the year, but you're gonna go through your match of the year list, and Brian Danielson is gonna have a bunch of stuff floating in that top 15, top 10 range. And I just don't know when I foresee that not happening anymore. And he just does it every, like every single time. And he did a lot of it as a heel for his first, for his first, uh, for his first few months in AEW. And now he's turning it back into doing the babyface stuff. So you're being reminded how great of a babyface he is. It's, I don't know what more you can say about Brian Danielson. Uh, I've said enough about him. God knows. Uh, God knows. Everyone knows that by this point. But I really love this, and it's going to be super high towards uh, my match of the year stuff coming into the year. Yeah. Um, Danielson, and, you know, when you asked, when is he going to stop being, like, one of the greatest wrestlers in the world? Like, he kind of gave you the answer at the pre-match, like, kind of promo stuff here where he talked about basically uh, that he's never going to stop wrestling until someone fucking kills him, um, until he dies. He's going to he's going to always wrestle. So, yeah, that's basically it. Until this guy is six feet in the ground, um, he's going to always be. And maybe he's not the wrestler of the year. You said it there. Maybe he's not the wrestler of the year because that's just kind of how math works and accumulation and and just as people go through their output. But the thing about Danielson is that on any given night, Brian Danielson can be the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, he may not be the cumulative wrestler of the year. Go ahead. As you said, like if you Moxley just by accumulation is just like Jesus Christ. Like how many fucking yeah. j- like great John Moxley matches have happened this year? And Moxley may have your number two match of the year. And Moxley versus Biff is somewhere is somewhere in my in my top ten too. But again, it's just like all right, there's Brian Mox, there's Brian Hangman, there's this, there's the other Garcia matches like. And there's, and there's still and there's still four more months of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like I was saying, on any given night, 
Brian Danielson will go out there and give you a performance that shows you that he is, in fact, the greatest wrestler in the world. But yeah, the, cum- the accumulation and the way that we judge stuff and all that stuff that we do, that's not how you decide, you know, wrestler of the year. It's just not you don't go who is actually just the best wrestler on any given night. You go with who like you have to have these rubrics and this stuff that we put together. But when you look at the cumulative and the the, the career that this guy has had and <laughs> did you see the Kurt Angle Danielson tweet? That was a good one. That yeah. Was... Yeah, I saw I loved that. That That's such good bait. That was such good bait, man. Whoever posted that deserved the fucking the Reddit gold that they got for that one. Because, yeah, that's uh, that was a really good one. Because, yeah, this motherfucker is the greatest wrestler of all time. I'm sorry, but there's just nobody who comes close. Imagine if like, like, and it's not to say that guarantee that he still will be, but he could be working like a part time schedule by this time. But like, imagine he's still wrestling in 2026 and he's still this good. Oh, and it's like. Literally, what is your argument against him? Like, and again, not and like stylistically, he might not speak to everyone. He might not speak to everyone the same the same way that he speaks to us. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to when we're doing stuff like this. That makes sense. But there's not going to be an actual argument against him. I don't think an actual no. argument against him exists. No matter how much, like, and I'm not against like any type of critical analysis of Daniel of Brian Danielson. I just think that. At a certain point, what are you actually arguing against? Yeah, I just, I don't, I am kind of against any kind of argument against it because like anything you could possibly say, like you said, like the speaking to you, like it's kind of taking him in his context. So like if you don't appreciate Danielson in his context, like that's tough, but any detraction that you might have, I'm sure that I can find an example that proves you wrong. Mm -hmm. Like if you have something negative to say about him, like you can pull out matches that show like, well, he could do that stuff. But again, it's about his context. Like Danielson has intentionally wrestled to be the best wrestler that he can be in his era and in his context. But if he was in another context, like he could excel at it and he's proven it. Like you can look at the stuff that he's done and be like, okay, like he could do that stuff because like, even just again, like this guy, like you, we, that's part of the thing. Like, okay. I, I can see arguments for different stuff, but like there's a lot of people who we just don't have the footage the same way where you have all of Danielson's footage. So you have this full career of greatness from the very beginning till now, all that. But like from the early Danielson stuff, if you like look at his very, very early Japan stuff, even after war, but like the early uh, new Japan stuff, like, and you want to talk about like kind of that more, like the more basic, like Puro, like strong style, like the stuff that you would see, like in the eighties and nineties, like he was doing that stuff there and at like in Japan at the tail end of it. So like he was on that level and was just as good as anybody else. So like you have that example, if that's like what you think of it anyways, this is not the time nor the place to getting into this Danielson conversation. Um, but, uh, this match is fucking great. Um, Garcia is an interesting one because you're talking about how good he was there. And and while I completely agree with you, I feel like I've always felt like I have to be the fucking um, the counterbalance and like the person who kind of plays the devil's advocate against Garcia. And one thing that crossed my mind during this match is that Garcia is like the peak of the the thing that I've talked about many times on here and in podcasts in general that I enjoy is the the person who their gimmick is good wrestler. Mm. and i think that garcia is actually like the peak of that 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 
that I can think of. Like, I can't think of anybody else who's really pulled off. Like my gimmick is good wrestler better than Garcia. And that's not to say that he's not a good wrestler because like his technical stuff on the mat is good. But like when you watch it, the good wrestler gimmick is like, I'm the best technical wrestler in the world. And like, when you really watch him, like he's, he's honestly pretty basic. No, no, no. That, that, you know, I've, I think I've said that plenty of times. Like, like he executes well, but that's not. He's not Gulak. He's not Zach. Yeah. He's not Thatcher. He's not that type of. He's not that type of wrestler. Like he comes from that mold in terms of the intensity and maybe like the thought process. But in terms of what he actually applies to wrestling, no, he's not. He's not actually that. I think, like what I what I highlighted is I feel like his best, uh, his best traits have been. His like his selling, or yes. his character work, or his facial expressions, and things like that, which I feel like have actually been what he's good at. Even leading back to him as a babyface, being being in, being in C four, being in Beyond or whatever. Like limitless, I still, yeah, you know, yeah, Limitless, where uh, where we eventually got some uh, did some heel work, but I think the best, even like he was a really good fiery babyface, and eventually we'll get back to that at some point. But then he found himself as a really good intense heel. And no, I don't. What I think of Daniel Garcia, I don't put him in the same kind of box that like you're thinking of the grapple fuck guys in terms of like execution right. and all these different holds and shit. I don't think of him that way. And that might be the mistake that some people might make with him. I hope people can see the forest through the trees uh, with uh, with that way of thinking. But no, Garcia isn't like that. He is not that type of wrestler. He has a love and admiration for that type of style and will apply techniques and ideas from it but he's actually mo- way more in the realm of like say like thatcher where you could talk about thatcher's execution but thatcher's thing is facial expressions and selling and people would gloss over that because they're talking about grapple fuck and how slow moving he is and the crowd of being into it but the reason why thatcher got so over and why thatcher stuff worked is because of selling and facial expressions yeah yeah so so garcia as the my gimmick is good wrestler is perfect because really his his whole thing is attitude um it is interesting because you know brock uh has been watching the world of sports stuff and him talking about this stuff reminds me of that where so many of those guys like breaks um boss chick uh got like you know obviously saint um mcmanus those guys like they were all like, oh, they're, you know, they're technical wizards. But then when you like rewatch it and then you see compared to like the people who like also do that stuff, like yeah, they have some like neat stuff and they do some cool holds and stuff. But really, like the character work is the whole thing. And like that's a, a thing that Danielson does really well. Or yeah, yeah, Daniel yeah, does really well. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's like like for for as great as like Jim Jim Breaks is at, 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 like for what he does, it's not. It's not just the technical wizardry that does it. It's the it's the character part. Because yeah. if it was just about technical wizardry or some shit or something like that, then Zoltan Boschik and John Cortez would right. be like we we'd be talking more about them. But it's like Oliver Gray, like yeah, yeah. It's like it's like what we put together with those things. Yeah, like breaks. The thing with breaks was like he's probably sold more tickets and and sold more fights with the crybaby thing than he did with his technical work, right? Like that was yeah. the crybaby breaks was the real deal, and like. It's a similar thing here where Garcia, yeah, again, like, it, you know, the wrestling is pretty basic. And like, that's what I, I mean. I want it to be basic. I like just do the basic stuff, execute it well, make it look legit, all that. But yeah, the personality. And the one thing that popped out to me was like, he did a corner drop kick. He did like a running into the corner drop kick to, to Danielson. And like, 
he's just got a lead ass. <laughs> like he looked like he's just like a fucking sack of bricks. And I'm just like, this motherfucker is not, he's not like an ass, you know, he's not super athletic. The the first thing that crossed my mind was Makabe, Dan Makabe. Like when Dan Makabe does that running drop kick to the corner, it's like so like um he's got so much elegance and he's just like so like smooth with it and it looks high impact and dangerous but it's like has a huge flair you know what i mean and it's like ah that's such a tough thing i don't even mm-hmm. want to you know now i'm going to start crying like when we were talking to dan right like dan was so good because he was so good on the mat technically but he was also like weirdly for the guy's size and for everything else about dan like a freak athlete and i think that people overlook that like that kind of thing is not easy even for someone for garcia who's like a couple inches shorter, a couple pounds lighter. And when he goes to do the corner drop kick, it doesn't look as pretty as when Makabe does it. Right. You know, yeah, and, that, and, that, and, that, and that's, and that's the thing about like knowing what you're good at. Like how many times right. have I talked about that? You're trying to do a clothesline and I'm like, Oh, right. like what the fuck? Like for as good as you are, everything else that you, that you have, you're trying to do a clothesline, which you would think is a pretty easy thing to do. But for some reason, just it didn't look good. And, we didn't see Thasher attempt any more clotheslines at a certain point yeah. in his career, and he stuck to European uppercuts and forearms. And it's like, I think that I think that, and I think that was also a storytelling device too. Uh, clearly, that which you, I think you know too, but him attempting these Danielson moves and just not doing them well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, and it's just not the not at the same level as Danielson, who's another guy who just can do everything right a freak athlete like that um still to this day being able to do that run run into the corner backflip over the top like nothing um so yeah but great match phenomenal stuff and yeah like garcia his attitude his vibe the whole thing that he delivers and then the drama that he gives even the post-match the post-match stuff was fucking insane and that's that sports entertainer thing like you know the the crowd dude the crowd they are mm-hmm. fucking into it and that just shows again how good garcia is with everything that happens then at the end of it the crowd chants you're a wrestler at this guy you know you're not a sports entertainer you're a wrestler like what the fuck like that's yeah so... that's, that's like the oh that's the oh that's the ultimate validation that the story's working that right. that when that when he said that when he did the whole thing about i'm a sports entertainer with the whole jericho appreciation society debut promo that it resonated with people that it resonated with the audience it's like oh you're not you don't belong with these guys that was a seed planted from day one and that's a testament to the story and the way that they rolled it out and done it that the audience was aware of this and was waiting for daniel garcia to get to the point where he realized that now whether this turns into he leaves a jas thing whether it turns into a double down and he's even more of a hated heel because he broke a hearts who knows but it at least shows that that story was working yeah, not only was the story, I mean, yeah, like this crowd, they're not hearing the commentary. This stuff's not being beat over their head. They just watched the match. So, again, they like told you the story in the context of just what's happening in the ring so much so that the crowd was buying into it. Like, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's some great work. But of course, like it takes two to tango, right? So you could say, oh, Brian Danielson, greatest wrestler of all time. Of course, he made it work. But no, I mean, Garcia is a big part of this, and Garcia is why this is working. Um, Either way, great match. Um, do you want to? What do you want to continue on with this show? Because I don't even, I don't even know how long we've been going. It feels like it's been a while. Uh, been two hours. I guess we could uh wrap it up with this. Um, so listen, Kenny Omega is working. He is 
doing a storyline where he is rusty. Yes. Uh, if you watched it, I feel like that's pretty clear thing. The five minutes carry roll through thing that he does has been a storytelling device that he's used to tell different stories yeah. multiple times throughout his career. So it is not surprising that he would have used it again to tell a story in that match. And we know Kenny's love for long form storytelling and ways to make wrestling interesting for himself. So yes, Kenny is probably still a little banged up from his surgeries and things like that. But it is also true that Kenny Omega is working and is doing a whole storyline where he is trying to get back to his best in the world, best bout machine self. I feel like that is pretty clear and evident, but but I just wanted to put that out there in case anyone thought anyone actually thought that Kenny Omega looked like was was rusty. Yeah, I mean, okay, so what do you think about kind of the whole situation here? Because I I agree with you in a lot of ways, but then you also watch the match and and Kenny really only interacts with Dragon Lee, which to me, like, I agree with everything you're saying there, but then also it's like, I could also see being like, oh, the only person I'm going to interact with is Dragon Lee because he's, you know, the guy that can do big bumps the guy who can take a bunch of my moves and if he does anything to me it'll be like whatever I don't have to take any big crazy power moves from the other two right you, you kind of get what I'm saying yeah so there, like, uh, there some trepidation for him. There's, there's some trepidation there I think for sure but I'm trying to like actual rusty necessary execution like oh Kenny's, sure yeah yeah like, like Kenny's gonna ease himself back into doing certain things he's recovering from like God knows how many surgeries that the guy had so that's part so that's so that's definitely a valid point but in terms of like yeah, um, Kenny, oh man, he he did that fireman's carry roll through when he landed on his ass. Like he's oh, used yeah. that he, he's used that as a storytelling device. Like how like how many times have we seen Kenny do that? <laughs> right, or like when he landed on his feet on his feet and then he's selling his legs afterwards. Like, come on, man! Like, yeah, you really, you really think that this is like a fucking you know whatever? Like, yeah, like, and that was a perfect setup for like that crazy ass fucking tope that like mm-hmm. everyone went nuts for. Like, yeah, like. Of course, of course. Um, but yeah, I just I thought it was kind of like I said, kind of telling that he didn't interact with Andrade or Roosh at all, who are both like maybe would not be, you know, as light on Kenny as Dragon Lee would be. Because any mm. offense that he was gonna take from Dragon Lee would be like taking his own bumps, some like light strikes, and then him throwing the guy around. Like that's pretty easy for Kenny to take, as opposed to dealing with fucking with the with like Andrade trying to muscle him up and fucking do a brain buster into the corner and shit like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, thank you. Um, so yeah, I could definitely I could definitely see, you know, people were definitely were were going over the top. But okay, so this is what I was talking about earlier with you with the Osprey thing. Like this situation and him winning them winning this match and the way that they're being positioned, like I think that the focus is gonna be building up into the finals of this trios tag team tournament. I don't know if if they win, but I kind of feel like probably they do. The elite wins the titles. And I think that like this is again, it's a work, but it's also like part of the story of what Kenny Omega is going to be doing here. Is he's I don't think he's gonna be doing big time like showcase matchups with like Will Ospreay anytime soon. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I think that this is gonna be the focus as he like gets back into like back into like being, you know, Kenny Omega or whatever before we get any big time matches. Um, 
And on top of that, like, I think that, um, that you watched it and the way that this match was with whatever, like one V trigger, one wing angel and it's over. Right. Mm. We weren't, we didn't get a ton of V triggers. We didn't get any big kickouts. We didn't get any of that. We got like bang, bang. And that's what I'm saying. Like Kenny's toning it down. Kenny's going back to being a little bit more like, you know, not so over the top, not so doing the big Epic thing. And I wonder if that's something that continues or if that was just for this, but I just feel like it's kind of smart. If you've been gone for a while to reset and not have to do so much overkill with everything. And Kenny, I mean, you know, we talked about it with the Osprey, you know, trading words online and this and that and doing too much and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, telling more stories and not having to go over the top. Like how much of that is, you know, maybe going to seep into this new Kenny Omega or, Kenny Omega return where he tones the stuff down. What do you think about what do you think about that? Um, I think it's a po- I think it's a possible thing, but I feel like I don't think Kenny would come back to wrestling if he didn't feel like he could be Ken- if, if he didn't feel like he could be Kenny Omega Kenny Omega again. I just don't think he's that type of guy. I feel like he wants to always do things on his own terms and know that he's leaving people with the best possible memories of his performance and his matches. And I don't think that would be so not that he keeps going to go out there and be uh, taking uh, feel like dragging a suplex off the top rope or some shit, but I still think that Kenny wouldn't come back if he couldn't, if he didn't still think that he could be Kenny Omega. So I think he might take it easy for a few months. I think that we're not going to, we're not coming right back into having Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay going 40 minutes or something. I'm with you there. But I don't think Kenny would come back if he didn't feel like he could be he could still be Kenny Omega. Well, I mean, not even just that he couldn't do it, but that like he's going to intentionally tone it down. Mm-hmm. And for maybe the, all the, of the, the near falls and all of the big spots was kind of like overkill. And he can like not doesn't need to do so much. For the time being. for the time being. For the time being, I think so. Okay. I think that there's a chance that like he's going to kind of reset and maybe cut down on how much he's doing and how much, you know, I don't know. You don't need to do a thousand big kickouts and all this stuff. Like, I feel like I talked about it earlier with the height of the epicness of New Japan and kind of toning things down. Like, maybe we can tone stuff down a little bit. You look at Moxley and you talk, mentioned him as the wrestler of the year and just all this and that. And like, Moxley's matches are pretty fucking basic. You know, all you need is a couple big fucking, you know, throws, some strikes, a couple suplexes and some blood and you got match of the year, you know, like, yeah. And maybe Kenny's seeing that and just being like, again, like I said, even with the stuff with the, the, or with the Osprey, you know, trading words back and forth, like you don't need to do so much. So I don't know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm crazy, but I felt a little bit like he was toning it down here. And maybe we'll see if that sticks around or if uh, if he gets right back into the over the top Omega thing. No, no, I don't think I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad I don't think it's a bad thing that uh, that you're that you're that you're thinking that you're thinking at all. I think it's a very fair thing. I'm just still, still going to aim on the side though. Even if Kenny does make changes, I think that we just wouldn't we're not going to get certain things from Kenny if he wasn't ready to uh, ready to do that. Yeah. 
Um, all right, Quentin. Well, I guess that's uh, about it, unless there's anything else you want to hit before we head out for the evening. Uh, no, that's that's it for me. All right. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go ahead. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at Bone Dollar's Wife, and you can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. And if you're feeling as kind to donate to our coffee link, uh, that's it for us. And thank you all for listening. Hope you're next time.